And uh, if you've got a Bible with you or want to grab one from the tables in front of you, we are in two Chronicles this morning. And uh, we're continuing through on our current teaching series, which takes us all the way up to Easter, which is looking at the theme of prayer. Now, if you haven't already, why don't you crack open the uh, chocolates in front of you? What, what, what happened, Rob? Dan, how do you open them? Oh... I didn't know that. So they open from the bottom, turns out. The bottom screws out. So um, there we go. So do open those. Uh, share them with each other. Keep yourself awake for the next few moments while I, while I speak. So we are continuing through this preaching series, looking at prayer. We're into the second week, and that's taking us all the way up to Easter. And every Sunday, we're looking at a different aspect of prayer and looking at that too in our small groups and missional communities. And so we are, good catch, Martin, well done. We are in the Old Testament this week in 2 Chronicles and looking at this theme of prayer as intercession. Now, I don't know about you, but intercession feels like the form of prayer that we're probably most accustomed to and most used to as Christians. Many congregations have led intercessions as part of their order of service. We sort of growing, grow up, I think, as Christians, understanding what it means to intercede for people in prayer. So that's what I want to unpack this morning. We were visiting recently some friends of ours, and uh, they've got uh, two little boys, and the oldest of those two, they are just at the point now where they're teaching him how to pray. And uh, they have a lovely little thing that they do, which is they have a, a photo album, and in that photo album they have photographs of people that are near and dear to them. So grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, godparents, that sort of thing. And every evening when they uh, take Sam to bed, uh, they open up the photo album and they choose a photo of somebody to pray for. And uh, they sit with him for a few moments and just pray a really simple prayer for grandma and granddad or auntie or uncle or whoever it might be. And it's really beautiful to watch and to be part of and just reminds you how simple prayer can be. But as we grow up and as we mature as Christians... Um, we realize, I hope, that there is a little bit more to intercessory prayer than simply praying, God, would you bless grandma and granddad or whoever it might be. So let's have a look at this morning's passage from 2 Chronicles 7 and verses 11 to 14. Let me read it to us. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
2 Chronicles is a, a, an historical account, and much of it maps the time of King Solomon's reign. And this particular bit um, maps the time when the temple in Jerusalem had been completed and was being dedicated to God. So in chapter 7, we can see that, that the building of the temple is finished. The temple is consecrated and is dedicated to the worship of God. And Solomon has what is a very rare thing in the Old Testament, which is a bit of a personal encounter with the living God. If you know your Old Testament at all, you'll know that it was quite rare across the Old Testament for people to hear God speaking to them directly. But Solomon has one of these moments here in chapter 7 where the Lord speaks to him directly. And the Lord tells him that he has heard his prayer. Well, what was the prayer that Solomon had prayed? If you look back in your Bibles at chapter 6 and verse 40, chapter 6 and verse 40, you'll see that Solomon prays this prayer. He says, Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So Solomon is imploring God to hear and to respond to the prayers that are being offered to him in the temple. And the Lord replies in this encounter in chapter 7, essentially saying, I am listening. My eyes and my ears are open. I am attentive to the cries of my people. In those few short verses, 11 to 14, there's loads of things that we could draw out and unpack. It's full of different themes and ideas. But I want this morning to focus on just one verse from that passage, and it's verse 14. Verse 14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Before I went to train for um, ministry in the Church of England, I worked for a few years as a teaching assistant in a secondary school, supporting uh, pupils that had um, additional needs, educational needs or behavioural needs. And there was one particular year when I was placed in a class, in a year seven class, so 11-year-old kids, for the whole of a year, because in this class were quite a number of pupils that had additional needs. And um, they were a great class of kids, really, really challenging, but a great joy at the same time. Every day was different, and you got to see over the course of the year these kids grow and mature, grow in confidence, grow in ability. Some of them were absolute nightmares over that year, but it, all in all, it was a joy. And their form tutor was a guy called Joe. And Joe was similar sort of age to me. And we um, struck up a bit of a friendship, got to know each other really well. Joe really cared deeply for his class. And I really cared deeply for his class. And so Joe and I had a bit of an arrangement. We had an agreement because Joe had one thing as a, as a form tutor and as a teacher that I didn't have as a teaching assistant. He had power. 
He had power to be able to intervene in that class, to be able to discipline, to be able to call on resources, to be able to get the head teacher involved if need be. But I had the sort of eyes and ears because I was with that class every hour of the school day. So we had an arrangement which was that every couple of days I would go and see Joe and I would give him a full report on how his class were doing. So I tell him all the good things that were going on, the kids that were making great progress, all the difficult things that were happening, the the need that there was, maybe the kids that were being a, a little bit challenging and might require some additional support. And he was really good, Joe, at listening, taking what I said on board and responding. And so in that arrangement, I effectively acted as an intermediary. Now, an intermediary is defined as somebody who moves between two different people or groups of people and is the friend of both. So somebody who moves between two people or groups of people and is the friend of both. And so in this instance, I was good friends with Joe and I was friends with his class and loved those kids and moved between those two groups, taking the needs of one to the other. And to some extent, this gives us a picture of what we mean when we talk about intercession in prayer. As believers, on the one hand, we have the ear of God. Okay, God is attentive to us. We can come into his presence and we can speak to him and we can tell him what's on our hearts and we can lift to him our needs. We are friends of God. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So we have the ear of God and are friends of God. And on the other hand, we are rooted in the world, called to live in the world and called to love the world and those around us and be acutely aware of the needs of the people around us. And so we are a friend both of the world and of God and called to stand in the gap as it were. Um, We see this next slide. So there we go. You might be familiar with that when you go to the tube, that mind the gap notice that is often given when you're waiting for a train. We are called as Christians in prayer to mind the gap, to be those people that stand in the gap and take the needs of a world to a God of love, to be an intermediary, to be an intercessor, friends of God and friends of the world. Now, let me just clear up a couple of things, because hearing this, we might be tempted to conclude some things that aren't true. It is not that God is either stupid or mean or aloof. So it is not that God isn't already aware of the needs of the world and needs us to tell him because he doesn't know. He does. It's not that he's mean and refuses to do anything until we pray. God often acts in spite of our prayers and acts even when we don't ask him. And it's not that he's aloof and that actually people can't go directly to God. Even unbelievers can pray and God hears them and there are amazing stories of that. So it's not that God needs us to pray. But because God is a loving father who has a relationship with us, he wants to hear what is on our hearts. He wants us to go to him with our own cares and concerns and those of the world and to ask him. 
and to communicate to him. And I think most importantly, when we think about intercession, it is God's heart that we pray for those in greatest need in our world and perhaps pray for people and for situations where if we don't pray, nobody else will. If we don't pray, nobody else will. And so intercession is about taking the needs of a world that God loves to a God who loves us and who loves his world. Intercession is about taking the needs of a world that God loves to a God who loves us and who loves his world. So I want you to hold this picture in your mind, um, which we can see here. I want you to imagine that we are called, as it were, as believers and as prayers to stand in this gap in relationship with Jesus and rooted in the world. In relationship with Jesus and rooted in the world. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I really believe that God wants us to approach him with a posture of humility and of hunger of calling out and of crying out to him because scripture tells us that when we come before God with that open heart, he hears and heals. I don't know if when you heard that Bible passage, you heard the phrase heal the land and thought, well, what does that mean? Because that's a slightly strange phrase for us to use. We don't really talk in those terms anymore. But in the ancient world, when these scriptures were written, I think the original audience would have understood what was meant when the Lord said that he would heal the land. In the ancient world, there was great interconnection between all elements of the earth, the world, and society. So, for example, if the rains didn't come in particular season and the crops failed, that wasn't just a farming issue. That became an issue about business and the economy and family breakdown and law and order and relationships. And so because people were more tied to the land than perhaps we are conscious of being today, to pray for God to heal the land wasn't just a prayer that God would send the rain or would bring good crops. It was actually a prayer for every aspect of human existence. It was a prayer for relationships, for the economy, for politics, for business, for everything. And it's really struck me this week, actually, meditating on this passage. I think we are seeing some of this interconnection at the moment with what is going on globally with coronavirus and what is set probably to be a pandemic. Because on the one hand, this is a health issue, but we can see already that it is more than a health issue because this is an issue that is already beginning to affect national and international economies. It is affecting trade routes. It will potentially affect relationships between nations. It is going to disproportionately impact the poor. It will affect people's jobs. So actually, I think more than ever now, there is a need for the church to pray for God to heal the land, for God to heal the land. 
Um, we were chatting last night to, uh, to my in-laws, to um, Anna's parents, and uh, uh, Josh, my brother-in-law, and his girlfriend are here as well this morning, so welcome. Uh, we were chatting about an event that happened quite a few years ago when I think both of you were like really young. How old were you, Josh? Can you remember? Very, very young, because I think you were about 10, Anna, weren't you? maybe even younger. So um, you'll know that Anna's family, um, or most of them still live over in Northern Ireland, that's when they grew up, and uh, Anna's parents remember well a period of Northern Irish history euphemistically known as the Troubles, um, which I always think is a very British phrase, isn't it? But it was, you know, described decades of conflict and tension and violence between Protestant and Catholic, Unionist and Republican communities in Ireland and particularly in Northern Ireland. And um, perhaps we can see the next image. So um, you may know that a lot of the conflict in Northern Ireland um, really sort of comes to the surface at particular times in the year where there are partisan marches that take place, particularly unionist marches, orange order marches, um, a bit like this one that you can see here. And there was a particular area in Northern Ireland where... Um, there was a flashpoint, essentially, um, where two communities, Protestant and Catholic, were divided by a bridge. And um, every time the, or the local Orange Order marched along a particular route, it would get to this bridge, and despite, despite a police presence and often a cordon, it would cross over this bridge from a Protestant into a Catholic community, and there would be violence and there would be conflict. And every single year, this seemed to happen. Um, the area was just by uh, Drum Cree Parish Church near Porterdown. And so Anna's parents and them as a family, one year, walked to this bridge, walked to this area, and felt convicted to pray and to intercede and to pray for peace and to pray for God to heal the land and to intercede for these two communities and to pray that on this occasion, when the Orange Order March came, that they would not cross this cordon and that there would not be violence and not be conflict. And so they interceded for these communities and called out for peace and for God to heal the land. Now, they would tell you that they weren't the only ones doing that. There were many, many other Christians fasting and praying for peace over those years. But here's the thing. When the day came for that Orange Order march, they got as far as the bridge, and for the first time, they did not cross the police cordon, and there was no violence that day. On every other occasion, that march had crossed over that bridge and there had been an eruption of conflict. And on this year, there was not. More than that, there has not been violence and conflict between those two communities at that flashpoint any year since. That is the power of prayer. That is the power of intercession. That is what happens when the people of God become hungry for God to move and they lift to him the needs of a world and cry out to him to heal the land. We need to stand in the gap. 
And so it strikes me that there are two personal things as believers that we need to do. If we are to be a people that stand in that gap and take the needs of the world to a God of love. Firstly, we need to be in right relationship with God. We need to be a people that are regularly communicating with God, seeking his face, drawing into his presence, dealing with those barriers, with that um, unforgiven sin, whatever it might be that gets in the way of our relationship with God. We need to be a people in right relationship with God. And secondly, we need to be a people with broken hearts for our world. We need to actually care about the world in which we live and the people who need Jesus. We need to care for our nation. We need to care for this town that we live in. We need to care for our parish. Karl Barth, who was a a great uh, theologian um, in the early part of the last century, once said that Christians should pray with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Think maybe of what the modern equivalent of that might be today, that we need to be informed and we need to have a care for the world in which we live. And at the same time, we need to be rooted in the promises of God We need to be rooted in who God is and in relationship with him. We need to know him. One of the things that uh, Pete Gregg says in the prayer course that many of us are doing in our missional communities is that we need to pray specific prayers. It's very easy for us to pray vague prayers and then wonder whether God has answered them. But actually, we can stand on the promises of God and on what he has said and therefore pray with confidence and pray specifically, asking God and expecting God to move in power. We need to get informed, I think, about what the needs of the world and those around us are so that we can pray with passion, that we can pray specifically, and we can pray with confidence. Can I invite us to stand? And um, if Claire and the band could come up, that would be great. Here's what I want to invite us to do. Um, I think the tendency often for us when we pray is that we can become a bit insular and pray for ourselves and pray for what God is doing in our hearts, but we are called to intercede on behalf of our world, our nation, and our communities. And um, I really felt convicted this morning as I was praying that one of the things we really need to do is to pray um, for our community and our parish, and particularly to pray into the fear and the anxiety that there will be at the moment because of the spread of coronavirus. You know, it's not that we need to be unprepared and it's not that we need to be naive, but we believe in a God of power, we believe in a God of hope, and we are not called to live in fear. We are called to live by faith. Um, I want to pray something um, boldly, and I want to pray something um, with faith that actually God would protect our parish and our community, that he would surround it um, with a, a hedge of protection, and that actually we would, we would not 
see some of the, the worst and most adverse health effects that we have seen in other parts of the world and in other parts of this country. Um, I want us to intercede for every household and every individual and every school child and every business that is within our parish boundary of some nine and a half thousand people. So I wonder if you do something for me, which is just to symbolically um, face outwards towards the walls of this building and to stretch out a hand um, symbolically out from this church building to our communities. And I want us to pray for God's protection around this parish, for God's power, and for God's protection of every single family and household. Let us intercede for them. Firstly, that God would heal the land in a physical way, and also that God would heal the land in terms of people turning to him in this crisis, calling out to him, and coming to know him and his love for themselves. So let's all together, and I'll lead us, but let's all together, and let's do this out loud if you feel confident doing so, begin now to speak out the promises of God, to call out upon God, to hunger after him, and to pray with desperation and with passion that he would come now by his Holy Spirit and heal the land. Let's pray, church. Come on.